When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta Sky Miles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast powered by betonline.ag. It is your NFL offseason preview. I know you, the loyal listeners of the Bet the Board podcast, have missed us. And Payne, I'm sure you've missed me as well, my friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was tough. Getting back into the podcast scene, had to make sure all the equipment was set up, the volume was good, the software was updated, it's, it's been a while. This is kind of like OTAs for podcasters, right? You just go out there, no pads, very light content, contact, it's, it's not hard hitting, and it's more of a getting yourself in the right mindset, knowing that you don't put on the pads and start hitting for real for about six more weeks. Your mindset actually was probably right there. It could be light content. This is the off-season podcast. This is going to be more like your summer fling. Um, <laughs> this is going to be just like the cursory glance, and then we're obviously back um, with full previews, AFC and NFC, in early August. So this is kind of uh, what's going on with the off-season and initial thoughts uh, on some of the teams that we have so far that are that are pretty like, you know, things that stand out at this point. A stream of consciousness, if you will. So as you mentioned, Payne, we'll of course do the greater in-depth AFC and NFC previews early August. And uh, for those folks out there, make sure you're following Bet the Board Pod on Twitter for all of those updates. That'll also include the various power conferences in college football, but plenty of time to enjoy the summer before we get there. And Payne, without further ado, should we just get right into it and start rattling off some of the teams that uh, we want to dive into today? Let's do it. I feel like two minutes in, I've already lost my voice a little bit. Got got something in my, my throat going on here. All right, that's a little bit disconcerting. I'll buy you a little <laughs> bit of time. Grab your gallon of water. Make sure you chug as much as you need to, and we'll rattle off some of the numbers to get started. And we'll Can I ask things- you a question, by the way? I'm going oh. off kilter already. Oh, here we go. Is I there a ner- such thing as, like, drowning in water? Is that, like, a thing? Like, you can drink too much water? I mean, yes, you can. I don't remember the term. But if you drink too much water, it has the same feeling of being drunk, and you can get yourself extremely sick that way if you drink too much water. Interesting. I'm I'm 
usually in like the 130 to 200 ounces a day. Is that too much, I think? I mean, I'm not going to be anywhere close to that. I mean, I've gone through different hydration levels. That's aggressive. But I think, what do they say? It's one ounce of water per pound or something along those lines is the healthy intake in a day. I just remember the Romanowski interview uh, where he was like, I drink 200 ounces a day. I was like, Jesus. I yeah, I mean, I, he's doing. I think to get yourself really sick, you have to drink significantly more than that. And gotcha. there's a lot of, and trust me, Romo's putting a lot of other things in his body too outside of water. Let's not kid <laughs> ourselves around these parts. <laughs> Interesting character. All right. Uh, that is Let's for get sure. focused here. All right. AFC East. When we look at the numbers to win the division this year at betonline.ag, no surprises here whatsoever. The Patriots, prohibitive favorites at minus 350. You look at the Jets, they're priced at 5-1. to one. Behind them, the Bills at 7-1. to one. And your beloved Miami Dolphins check in at 25-1. to one. A quick glance through some of these win totals. Buffalo over-under listed at 7. You do have to lay $1.15 to go over the total there. Uh, we look at New England, of course, the leaders in the clubhouse, over-under 11. Lay $1.30 to go over for them. The New York Football Jets, their over-under sits at 7, minus $1.40 shaded to the over. And, of course, the Dolphins picking up the rear. Their win total, <laughs> 5 under minus $1.40, all those numbers, of course, courtesy of betonline.ag. And Payne, let's start with a glass half full approach in the Buffalo Bills. I mean, this team has done quite a bit during the offseason to really upgrade some of their talent pool. And I wanted you to kind of go into what you've seen and uh, if you're optimistic about what's going on in Western New York. I, I like the direction of Buffalo, right? I think in our eyes, we've kind of hinted at this a little bit throughout his tenure um, up in Buffalo. It's Sean McDermott at this point. I think he's a plus coach in the league already, you know, and, and you mentioned some of the offseason moves for the Bills. I think the one thing that really stands out is the massive upgrades to the offensive line. And that's key when you have a young quarterback. You know, Buffalo goes out and steals Mitch Morris at center away from the Chiefs. Uh, I can tell you, Patty Mahomes was not happy about that. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Buffalo goes out and they sign Ty Nitschke at left tackle. He flashed big time in Washington last year. It'll be interesting to see if he can kind of hold up for an entire season at his age. And then they go and probably get one of the best offensive linemen in the draft in Cody Ford from Oklahoma. I think he's a day one starter. And they picked up some like depth, depth guys like Feliciano and things like that. But when you looked at what they did from an offensive line standpoint last year, they were 30th in run blocking, 23rd in pass protection. So um, huge upgrades there. If Josh Allen's accuracy improves, I think Buffalo becomes a really interesting team because we know how good that defense is. They finished second in defensive efficiency last year. So if Josh Allen improves some accuracy with this enhanced offensive line in a different receiving core, um, Buffalo has a chance to make some noise. What did you think of their pick of Ed Oliver, a guy who coming into last season, a lot of people thought could have been the first defensive player off the board, goes through the combine, short arms, you know, spends a lot of time injured at Houston. What kind of impact do you think he can have with the athleticism he'll bring to the Bills D-line? Great for Buffalo. Hated as a Dolphins fan who hasn't been able to uh, block on the interior line for about a decade right now. Um, so I, I like Ed Oliver going to be tough to replace Kyle Williams I mean the guy's a consummate pro he's a leader uh physical guy so Ed Oliver I think more of a get to the quarterback type player um be interesting to see if he can bulk up a little bit and, and kind of remove some of those injury questions now I think a lot of that had to do with um 
the knowledge that he was probably going to be <laughs> a high pick. Um, and when you're playing for Houston, I don't know if there's a reason to go out there and play injured uh, with millions of dollars of waiting in the pros for you. No, it definitely makes sense. You focus on the payday and you go out there and take care of yourself first and foremost. You mentioned the Dolphins and not being happy as a Dolphins fan. Can you walk us through what the mindset might be in Miami? A lot of people were working under the assumption, hey, this team is tanking. It's We're going to do everything we can to make two of the face of the franchise. They, of course, go out, though, and deal for Josh Rosen, which had a lot of people second-guessing or maybe going, well, maybe Miami isn't in full tank mode, and they want to see what they can have with a dirt-cheap former first-round pick, knowing that Arizona was happy to jettison him. You know, I think people have a hard time differentiating – tanking from building for the future, right? And the Dolphins are doing the latter. I think it's impossible in a sport where guys are this competitive. And then you look at who their coaching staff is, right? They're cut from the Belichick cloth. Like, I don't think those guys, knowing Brian Flores, is going to just dump games. And then you have that element of, like, injury, right? Like, if you're going out there and not performing at near 100%, your risk of injury just increases dramatically, now, there's a serious void of talent, right? And the Dolphins organization wants to build this the right way through the draft. I, but I think they're going to absolutely go out and try to win games with their best guys this year. They just don't have a ton of good guys. Um, but you have to, I think, go in and instill like this this mindset as a new leader. And, you know, Brian Flores' initial press conference didn't go great. His initial you know radio interviews locally didn't go great. Um, but I think you have to like the tone he's trying to set, uh, the mantras he has, and it's like early is on time, on time is late, and late is forgotten about. Um, he built this wall um, and had TNT painted on it, um, and the meaning is takes no talent. So it doesn't take talent to do the right thing, um, and that's kind of what he lives by. These guys have gotten back to basics, snapping footballs, things of that nature. Um you know, and I try to assess this long term, and that's what this plan is going to be. Stephen Ross is, is given these guys five years. I think they're going to get all five years. I really do, unless it's just an abject disaster. But I think the biggest question about the direction for Miami is if you're going to build through the draft and you're going to select and sign guys that fit a system and a scheme and have this certain mindset, that doesn't always mean you're taking the most talented guy. All right. And I think the question becomes when you're looking at the end of year three or the start of year four, when you have your guys for your system, can it work? Right. We know it works in New England because you have Belichick game planning and scheming weekly and you have Tom Brady making up for all these mistakes around him. Um, Definitely doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. But like, will that philosophy work elsewhere? So it's like it's tough to envision a replica ever being as good as an original. So I think the key for Miami here is. You know, hiring the right guys within the organization that can kind of put their own touch on things. And I think that starts with hiring the right analytical minds and to, to aid Flores and, you know, his week to week game preparations. Um, you know, you mentioned Josh Rosen. What I can tell you is this is a guy that the organization was looking at drafting last year. And if he was still there when they were drafting, they were going to take him. And that's the reason why Arizona jumped ahead of them to get Josh Rosen. At this point, it's a no-risk signing, right? You have him, um, and you only owe him $6.3 million total, 
uh, <laughs> for the next three years. So even if he is a backup, he's making roughly $2 million a year as a backup. Um, he is certainly trying to get used to a new system. This will be his third, I believe, in, in two seasons. Um, he's working on moving across the country. I can tell you Ryan Fitzpatrick right now is light years ahead of Josh Rosen. And so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to, to catch up ground throughout OTAs and camp in the rest of this offseason. Um, I think ideally the Dolphins would like to hand him the keys to the car. Um, and then that way you figure out if you need to go get Tua next year. But I can tell you when you look at the Dolphins in 2020 and all their draft assets, they're going to be able to go and get whoever they want. It's all you want is an organization as a plan, especially one that really hasn't had much of a direction in the last couple of years. Final thing on the Dolphins before we move on to the Jets. Were you happy with uh, what it took for the Dolphins to lock up Xavier Howard long term? Yeah, and I think this was a uh, something we've kind of talked about a little bit if you've been listening to this for the last four or five seasons. The Dolphins really had an inability to gauge their own, right? They were going out and spending on free agents and making these huge splashes with Sue and things of that nature, but they really were lacking in scouting their own. And they would wait until the 23rd hour to try to sign their guys. And we saw in situations where you wait to sign Olivier Vernon, you wait to sign a Jarvis Landry, the the risk injury is all but gone and you're going to have to pay current market value and, and you can't always do that. You have to go in and assess that, hey, this guy that you drafted, that you scouted for a year, that has been under your watch and in your building for two or three years is the player you think he is. And if he is, you go out and you try to renew him long-term in year two or three so you have that negotiating leverage of, hey, you can play out your contract if you want and sign this massive deal in two years. But right now, by signing this deal, um, you no longer have the risk of injury for two more seasons. And so you know you end up getting a better deal that's a little bit more club-friendly. Um, I know if you look at the language of his contract, it appears that he's the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. But if you really dig in there, um, he's really making about $11, 12000000 million annually. And that's going to look like a bargain uh, in about a year, year and a half when you look at where the cornerback market's going to go with the increased salary cap. Always makes sense trying to lock up your talent, especially if you know these guys are going to be building blocks that you can look around going forward, which I think provides an interesting segue for a team that appeared to be headed in the right direction in the last couple of weeks. Uh, there may be cause for concern up with Gain Green. The Jets, of course, fire their general manager, Adam Gase, extremely outspoken against the price tags that the team spent on C.J. Mosley and Lavian Bell. I mean, what do we make of the Jets right now and some of the internal turmoil that appears to be festering uh, up there at MetLife Stadium? They're a mess, right? It's it's failure to communicate, and I think it shows a lack of stability in the foundation of the organization, right? Um, when some of the most important people in an organization are moving in different directions, it's never going to work. And you look in your own division in the AFC East. The reason the Patriots have owned the division is because of their stability, um, but I, I don't think this is a shock, right? Like when you went and hired Adam Gase, you were getting a guy with an ego. They knew that. Now, I, I, I'm okay with that personally. I think he probably deserved one more year in Miami for the fact that this was a team that exceeded expectation. 
right? And the expectation we know is the Vegas number, and it opened five and a half, closed six and a half, and they won seven games despite missing uh, a lot of guys with injury. One of the most injury-riddled teams in the NFL. Um, so I, 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 you know, I don't mind Gase, but at this point, like we know, he can rub people the wrong way. Um, waiting to fire the GM, I think most casual fans think that's probably crazy. Reality is, right, you know, scouting thousands and thousands of players is this year-long plus process, right? Like, you don't want to spend nine or ten months scouting guys then fire your GM to have you, like, cram years of work into two months, right? And I think on top of that, you fire your GM a month before the draft, and you know this probably pretty well. He becomes like a scorned, bitter ex, and now you're worrying oh, if he's leaking your hey, information wait, to other scouts we're and organizations. We're only 15 minutes into the off-season podcast, <laughs> and you're already firing boulders in my general direction. It's like you haven't missed a beat over there. I, I figured you're well prepared to dodge boulders after your uh, weekend travels. Oh my God, what a fiasco that turned into. We can get into that a little bit later, but man, oh man, I'm not exactly operating at 100% right now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you sound a little under the weather. What can I say? Doing, uh, knowing that I'm going to have to work with you extensively brings out the best. My immune system was already starting to wear down. Well, wait, we got to work with pain on uh, Wednesday morning? No, we're shutting it down for a little bit. <laughs> Getting back on, on track here, I think like you, know, you have to get a GM that's willing to work with Gase. Um, but Gase can't be like in charge of all personnel decisions. That's not his forte. You know, I, I completely agree with not wanting Le'Veon Bell. Um, if you've watched Gase and how he's operated with his running backs, it, it, it's by committee, right? And that's really the way to do it in, in 2019. Uh, but I don't love, like, you know, getting pennies on the dollar for Deron Lee, who's one of the best cover linebackers in the NFL. Um, I know he's been a little bit of an underachiever, but he's, you know, he's got these elite traits, and that trait is vital right now with where the NFL is and where it's heading. Um, there's talks of Gase wanting Leonard Williams gone. And, you know, again, it, it can't be a fire sale because you want to prove to your new colleagues that you rule with an iron fist and it's your way or the highway. I don't think that's, that's you know, probably the right way. So things are, are a little bit of a mess here in New York. Well, if the Jets may be in fire sale mode, there's a team in the AFC North that's been buying up every piece of talent available <laughs> somewhere between Key West, Florida, and the Seattle and Seattle. And that, of course, would be the Cleveland Browns, who are the favorite at betonline.ag to win the division at even money. The Steelers check in behind them at 2-1. to one. The Baltimore Ravens, who will be led by Lamar Jackson this season at 7-2. to two. And the Bengals at 20-1. to one. A quick glance paint at the win totals for this division has Cleveland with the highest on the board. Their win total set at 9. You do have to lay $1.30 to go over. The Bengals' win total at 6. Lay $1.30 to go over there. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who life's going to be very different without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Their win total, 9, lay $1.20 to go under. And the Baltimore Ravens, their win total sits at 8, lay $1.30 to go over there. I guess the most logical place to start is with this Browns hype. I mean, are there any free agents the Browns haven't signed? And will this thing be a monumental success? Or are we talking about a Titanic-like crash if things don't get off to a quick start with so many volatile personalities in one locker room? <laughs> they haven't signed Gerald McCoy yet. Um, <laughs> although OBJ is is uh, certainly trying to make that happen, and I think that'd just be pigging out, right? Um, you already have Larry Ogunjobi and, and Sheldon Richardson on the interior. I mean, they could go all in for sure. 
Um, but just kind of, I think when you look at match and need and, and want with playing time for a contender, I think the Colts make a ton of sense for, for Gerald McCoy. Uh, I'm hearing, you know, Seattle, Dallas, and, and the Chargers uh, are three teams that also have interest. But, you know, I, I think there there could be a possibility with as aggressive as the Browns have been that, that he, he could land there. Um, I don't think they'd be the favorite, but I think there's there's potentially a shot. Um, you know, I think most of our listeners know by now, um, our knowledge of, of this Browns team is, is pretty good. Uh, the week Freddie Kitchens was named offensive coordinator after Hugh Jackson was fired. I think we were the only ones going to bat, uh, for kitchens while, while many in our industry and in the sports space were kind of, you know, scratching their heads and making fun of him and making fun of his name. I, I just, I had really good intel that the Cleveland organization thought Freddie was the best offensive mind in the building, and that's when he was just the tight ends coach, and, and he and his ego were still parading around the hallways. Um, you know, we bought low on Kitchens. Now I'm really kind of intrigued to see what it looks like going from, you know, tight ends coach to head coach in a handful of months. Um, it's a big you know, step. It's, it's, it's a big leap. Uh, coming from that Bruce Arians coaching tree, I, I knew the personalities were going to be a perfect fit. Like, I knew he was going to mesh with Baker, and, and that's partly why I got this job. Baker loves Freddie. And I don't think you can argue with the uptick in offensive production. I was digging around this morning a little bit, and on the surface, right, you, you could immediately tell that the creativity was different. The formations were different. Uh, but I really wanted to kind of put that into, like, numerical values. And last year from weeks one through eight with Hugh Jackson – Cleveland was 27th in rushing success rate and 31st in passing. Weeks 9 through 17 with Freddie Kitchens running the show offensively, Cleveland went to 8th in rushing success rate and 5th in passing. And now you get a full offseason with Baker to understand Freddie's offense. He's now going to have time to implement things, right? It was on the fly for Freddie last year. He was doing things as, as the games approached. Now you have time to implement a new system. And I think that's... That's really going to pay dividends. You add Beckham to the fold, obviously. The routes he loves to run seem to be the ones Baker's best at throwing, right? He loves the slant. Uh, This is going to be a fun offense to watch. What's scary for me here is I'm not sure if I'm going to be buying into Cleveland that many times this year based on their perception and price. But I think long term, right, when you're looking at Baker, um, and you're looking at Chubb, and you're looking at possibly Kareem Hunt a little bit more long-term, and you're looking at Jarvis and OBJ and Njoku, they're all 26 or younger, right? I mean, this offense has a four-year window with Baker being on his rookie deal for this unit to kind of grow together for many years. So if it doesn't happen this year, I'm not panicking if I'm the Browns. Well, I think the most interesting thing, you know, Baker Mayfield's comments, I mean, he was quoted as saying, I think the most exciting thing that these OTAs are competitive. Going up against the defense now and during voluntary minicamp, we have a lot of talent trying to find out who we are, but it's fun to go compete against those guys every day. Something that if we had this podcast three years ago about this time, we would have laughed at knowing that Cleveland was so devoid of talent on their starting units, let alone some of their depth guys. So clearly a team to watch, but you wonder if the stock is at an all-time high which our listeners know in this business, you don't get rich betting sports by buying stock at the top of the market. Now, for all things that go up, pain, there are things that go down. And maybe for the first time in recent memory, a veteran-laden roster in the Pittsburgh Steelers is flying under the radar. 
What do we make of the recent attitude change from Big Ben, or is this more of a ploy, knowing he's officially going into life after the Killer Bees with Antonio Brown off to Oakland and Le'Veon Bell moving on to greener pastures? You know, I, th- I think there seems to be a different level of focus w- within the organization this offseason. Um, y- you really want to see it take shape on the football field, though. Uh, you kind of alluded to Big Ben saying all the right things. He openly admitted he wasn't a good leader last year. Um, let's hope it's more about you know, working hard, preparing well, and executing better in 2019 and not just resting on your laurels that you had one of the most talented teams in the league because I don't think that's potentially the case anymore. Uh, you know, most know at this point I'm not a Mike Tomlin guy. Um, I, I think it's fully understandable why I've called him out frequently based on his decision-making, his inability to get guys focused consistently. But part of what we do as sports investors, I think it requires coming from an unbiased perspective. And I tell you, I, I kind of liked what I saw from Mike Tomlin's defense last year from the bye week on. They really dumbed things down. Uh, they, they got back to basics. They simplified things so guys could go and play in fast uh, I was looking at week seven onwards after the bye. The Steelers' defense was top seven in both rushing and passing success rate. They finished second in quarterback pressure rate. And where I'm going with this is now you add a sideline-to-sideline thumper in the middle of your defense. That was sorely missed since the injury to Ryan Shazier um, in Devin Bush. So when you start to project and see a Steelers defense that will now face uh, a schedule of offenses below average in 2019 and a really soft schedule of passing offenses. I think this team has a little bit different shape and feel to it. It's going to rely more on its defense. I really believe that. Uh, This needs to be a top five unit in my mind this year. It'll be an underachieving team. Uh, I really believe that. Um, I don't think the offense completely falls off. But I think the defense has to make strides and has to be better, and it has to be really the calling card of this team. Yeah, going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, I mean, it's always interesting when you go from the perennial role as being the hunted to all of a sudden the hunter without all that hype, fanfare, and pageantry. These are still professionals, and Big Ben hasn't played with a chip on his shoulder maybe since he first got in the league coming uh, out of Miami of Ohio. So very curious to see how the Steelers perform and ultimately how they're priced because you look at these division odds and not getting a ton of respect early on from the north we head south pain where the indianapolis colts are the favorite at betonline.ag a shade better than even money at plus 110 you're looking at the houston texans at plus 225 the tennessee titans at four to one and a new look jacksonville jaguars team priced at five to one a quick glance at some of these win totals the colts nine and a half you do have to lay a dollar fifty to go over that number at betonline.ag houston's win total eight and a half lay a dollar forty to go under there uh, we look at the Tennessee Titans. Their win total, 8.5, lay $1.40 under. And Jacksonville picking up the rear. Their over-under sits at 8, lay $1.20 under. When we look at this Colts team, we've clearly seen a cultural change there, whether it's through the draft or the overall direction that the organization appears to be headed in. I imagine you as an analytical guy, being a fan <laughs> of Andrew Luck, have to be a huge fan of what Chris Ballard has done trying to institute a philosophy that he said flat out, we're going to build this team from the inside out. Love everything about the Colts. Banged the table a year ago when Indianapolis was 1-5 at that time and said buy Colts stock and hold it long term. Um, you know, Frank Reich understands how to game plan. He understands where his edges are offensively. Chris Ballard is a ridiculously good GM. 
Um, we saw that again with this year's draft, right? Like most scouts only pegged 14 to 20 guys with a first round draft grade. Ballard moved back, moves back, I think, from 26th. Uh, in the first round to acquire more picks and kind of the meat of the draft where everyone said, this is where you're going to make your hay from rounds two through four. Uh, he moves back again in round two, I believe, from 46 to 49, adds another fifth rounder. And the one guy making a lot of noise, and he's going to be a contributor, I think, right away is Paris Campbell. He is just wowing people right now in camp. They're adding more to his plate already. I think yesterday uh, they're going to see if he can return punts. There's just a slew of weapons now for Andrew Luck this season, especially if Deion Kane returns healthy. He was showing out last year at camp, and in that that juncture, I think you bring in Devin Funches. There's just a lot more weapons around Andrew Luck. Uh, you you hit on this. Overall, you know, this Colts organization is committed to analytics. And I, I love the guys they're using for that. Um, I I trust those guys. They're, they're drafting smart. They comprehend how to build a team. Uh, and then you add to the fact that they had $102 million in salary cap room and they knew pass rush was a glaring need, right? You look at some of their metrics from last year. Indy finished 29th in adjusted sack rate. They were 24th in quarterback pressure rate. So they go and spend on Justin Houston. But it isn't this debilitating deal long-term. It's a two-year deal. Um, so in my opinion, it's it's very team-friendly. I think there is a real possibility um, that they're going to make a run at Gerald McCoy. And if that happens, this team has a real shot to win the Super Bowl this year. Um, let me not sugarcoat that. So that's how high we are on the Colts. Really love everything about them. Pretty impressive. I mean, you like you said, a team that, you know, at one in five, a lot of people wanted right off. We knew it was going to take Andrew Luck a, a little bit of time and started to feel more and more comfortable uh, behind that offense and know that he's got a fortress up there blocking for him, which is always a great thing for a quarterback that, when given time, can have surgeon-like precision picking apart defenses. But for as all the strides the Colts made on their offensive line, kind of being able to protect Andrew Luck, one of the teams, as far as the odds are concerned, that appears to be their closest competition on paper Payne, I don't think, has done enough to address their concerns on the offensive line, and that, of course, would be the Houston Texans. Now, we look at what this offense was with Watson. He can run around, he can make plays, but if you're under duress, it changes some of those dynamic. DeAndre Hopkins is an absolute beast, but this offense didn't click on all cylinders when Will Fuller wasn't there to try and take the lid off the defense. Schedule is going to be much more difficult than what we saw from them in 2018. What are realistic expectations that we should have for the Houston Texans this season? I mentioned at the top that this is kind of a cursory glance of some of these teams. And, you know, there's a lot of work left to be done. It's only May. Um, But right now, you know, I think the entire season for the Texans comes down to the growth of Deshaun Watson. Does he show drastic improvement in year three? Or is he the guy that we last saw um, against a below average Colts secondary throwing grounders into the dirt? Right. There was just... It was a horrific game. Uh, 38% of his pass attempts in a home playoff game were successful. And so I think Watson's improvement is critical here because the biggest factor for me is Houston goes from the easiest schedule in the NFL to the toughest this season. And, you know, Houston wins 11 games last year. Should have only won about nine according to the Pythag. So despite the easiest schedule in football, 
you look at how they got to the 11 wins, and it's it's two overtime games. It's six wins by one score or less. It's four wins by a field goal or less to get to 11, right? There's a reason the odds makers at betonline.ag have Houston's win total at 8.3. I just, you know, it, it's going to require massive improvement from Watson to kind of defy, I think, how sharp betters feel about Houston this year. And, and, and listen, right, like the, the QB position so important. If Watson becomes the player he's capable of being, especially with Will Fuller returning and Kiki Kute just absolutely killing it right now, um, he could fling mud on the face of us, right? There's no doubt about that. And we've kind of discussed the importance of Will Fuller uh, ad nauseum on this podcast. Over a 23-game sample, when Will Fuller is in the game, Watson averages one and a half yards more per pass attempt and one and a half more touchdowns per game. So getting him back and keeping him healthy will be crucial, I think. Uh, Kiki Kute, as I mentioned, is ready to take that next step. He has been an absolute lightning bug uh, this entire offseason. I'm hearing that he is going to, to make massive strides and be huge for this offense. But again, I think it just it really comes down to when you look at how much tougher this schedule is, that it's got to be Deshaun Watson taking the next step. Uh, he has to be a more accurate passer. Um, he has to be able to throw into certain windows. He has to make less mistakes. Um, he has to take less sacks. Like I just, I think there's there's a lot of factors here, but it all really, really comes down to the improvement of Deshaun Watson. Going to be an interesting team to watch, no doubt, largely for what you said there with the schedule. It's very easy to look like the toughest Smurf when you're out there beating up on some of the NFL bottom feeders. It's much different when teams uh, have a general idea of what they're game planning for and you're going through the rigors and grind week in. You know about this, don't you? (laughs) Hey, I have been called the toughest Smurf in the past, uh, depending on uh, what avenues you're trying to insinuate here. That may be a different discussion for a different day. We have one last team, one last team, one last division to address in the AFC, and that would be the West, where Kansas City is a dollar fifty favorite at BetOnline.ag. The Los Angeles Chargers right behind them at plus one seventy five, and then two long shots in the mix: the Denver Broncos at twelve to one, the of course Oakland Raiders priced at sixteen to one. And when we look at Kansas City's win total, of course, the last time we saw them, it was D Ford lining up offsides. In the AFC Championship, their win total sits at ten. You do have to lay a dollar twenty-five to go under. Uh, when I look at the Chargers' win total, their number sits nine and a half. Lay a dollar fifty to go over. The Denver Broncos a seven flat, and of course the Oakland Raiders six and a half under minus a dollar forty. Payne, the Chiefs have been extremely active uh, this offseason in addressing their defense. They bring in defensive coordinator Steve Spagnola, and of course we've seen a number of changing faces. D4 traded. Justin Houston walks. They go out and they acquire Frank Clark on draft day. And you mentioned earlier in the podcast the recent trade to pick up Darren Lee. What do we think that unit is going to look like at Arrowhead this season? Hopefully they're improved, right? Well, it's hard to get worse, right? (laughs) That's true. That is true. Um, You know, Spagnuolo comes in. That's my contribution uh, to the podcast, by the way, for today. Kansas City's defense can't get worse in 2019. I'm out like Costanza. There you go. That's that's big. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Spagnola. You know, comes in. He's been out of the NFL for a year. Uh, he is changing the Chiefs' defense to a four-three. That's why a lot of uh, departures on that defensive side of the ball and just a, an overall scheme change, a player change. They want more speed, right? That's been the concerted effort all offseason. 
uh, with this defense is more speed, and that's to, to help in coverage, obviously. Um, I was poking around this morning on this, actually touching up some of my notes, and you looked at opposing quarterback ratings when you targeted the Chiefs' safeties last year. It was a 108 rating allowed. That was the fifth worst in the NFL. You look at opposing quarterbacks targeting Chiefs linebackers, uh, a unit that we were highly critical of. Um, 114 QB rating allowed. That was the fourth worst. So, you know, what does KC do? They, they go out and they get a top 10 coverage linebacker for pennies uh, with the trade for Duran Lee. Um, they signed Tyron Matthew. Um, who is much better in coverage than any of the safeties the Chiefs had last year. I I think, obviously, Mahomes is a freak, uh, but I think regression in his numbers are are pretty imminent, you know, just in general. Uh, When you look at his production last year, it's got to be down a little bit. And then you lose a Mitch Morse, Uh, you know, the Kareem Hunt situation. You lose him. You lose Conley. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill inevitably, at best, is going to miss some time. So I think it really is uh, imperative that the Chiefs' defensive unit improves this year so Casey doesn't lose any ground. And, you know, you look at something as simple as that Pythag. You know, the Chiefs bested their expected win rate by over two games last year. Now you factor in a schedule this season that's going to be one of the ten toughest in the NFL. That defense is going to have to make strides, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be very curious to see what the expectations are on Patty Mahomes. Uh, given his outstanding sophomore campaign and a lot of the defections, so to speak, that you mentioned there. Clearly, Kansas City, the best team on paper within that division, uh, at least as far as odds makers are concerned, with that $1.50 price tag. Uh, I think if you flip-flop coaches oh, I think and the put Chargers, Andy Reid on the Chargers, the Chargers yeah. have a chance to win the Super Bowl, like a legitimate chance. I mean, so you're telling me you're not buying into Anthony Lynn being able to take a 37-year-old Phillip Rivers to a height he's never been in his illustrious NFL career? He's getting slightly better, um, but they were an organization that is really reluctant uh, to go the analytical route. They are getting a little bit better with that, but I mean, that's that's the question mark. Is Anthony Lynn there? You adapt, you evolve, or you die. It's one of uh, life's tried and true mentalities in all of it, and I, I guess when we look at Oakland, I'm not quite sure how to assess the Raiders in the direction they're heading. <laughs> Um, they bring in Mike Mayock, uh, taking over for Reggie McKenzie as a general manager. Uh, a lot of publications have Coach Gruden already on the hot seat if things don't work out. I'd be stunned if they let him go before the team makes uh, its trip to Vegas in a beautiful new stadium to kick off things in 2020, assuming there aren't setbacks there. Uh, what do you make of the organizational direction for the Raiders right now? They, of course, pay drew a ton of criticism uh, for a surprising pick in the top five in the April draft. Are they really talking about firing Gruden? If they fired him after year two, they'd be paying that guy longer than this, Bobby Bonilla. This might just be talking heads out there, but I read a couple of articles. It's amazing what you can find when you poke around on the cesspool that's the internet. And Gruden was one of the uh, head coaches listed on the hot seat. I mean, I would be floored if you're going to bring in a new head coach and you break in a new stadium in a new town. Maybe Gruden gets three years and then they decide to cut ties. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. No, I don't either. Um, you know, you mentioned Mayock. I, I think he knows what he's doing. I, I, I like the Raiders draft for the most part. Um, but there's just like, you know, there's still this serious void of talent, I think, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, as much as me sitting here telling you, I think Gruden's got more time than people say he does. I, I'm, I'm not sold on Gruden. We went down that path a season ago and why I don't really, 
think he's the greatest coach, right? I don't think we need to go in further detail. Maybe we can during the AFC preview in, in August. But, you know, I just, this team's bottom of the barrel. I, you know, when you look at some of their metrics last year, I think they're worse than, than Raiders fans think. Um, you know, they're a net negative 0.9 yards per play last season. Only the Cardinals were worse. You know, you're outscored by 177 points. Only the Cardinals were worse. Um, you know, you got odds makers projecting, you know, 6.3 wins. That's dead last in your own division. Uh, you know, the schedule projected to be one of the three toughest in the entire NFL. Seven games against top 10 opponents. Only one game against a projected bottom five team. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say here, Todd, is like there could be some <laughs> growth uh, for the Raiders, but they just they have so much ground to make up that, you know, the improvement may not reflect in the win-loss column. I, I know you're closer to this team, and in a year from now, uh, literally, you're going to be closer. But I, I, what are your general feelings early on in May about the Raiders? I mean, I think when you look at it, people are excited about some of the big names that they've brought in. You know, Antonio Brown is a household name. They needed some sizzle there. But you wonder if that's the kind of core that you build around. I think a lot of the way the team gets covered out here in Vegas is through rose-colored glasses because you want to paint them in a positive light. You want people to be excited uh, about getting an NFL team here playing right off the strip. But it completely unrelated. I think there's a lot more pressure on the Raiders when they make the move to Vegas, given the immediate success that Las Vegas residents have seen from the Golden Knights and the way that organization has been built from the ground floor up, that if the Raiders were to come in here and kind of limp through a 6-10 and 10 season, or say they were to go out there and finish 4-12 and 12 in their final campaign in Oakland, it's going to take a lot of luster off. And in a city filled with entertainment, as you know, Payne, there's all sorts of other things to do down there in Miami. Unless you're winning, unless you're exciting, uh, it's not going to create a whole lot of buzz and fanfare. No, and I think this is the year, right, that you need to start selling your season tickets and your PCLs and all that stuff too. Um, and that's helpful if you're a better team. Yeah, I mean, there there's no doubt. And I think the Raiders are going to have to take some risks because they will need some star power. Uh, and I'm very curious to see how the Antonio Brown experiment ultimately pans out. Derek Carr. Couldn't show for OTAs yesterday. I know they're, <laughs> they're Yeah, not exactly, but. not exactly ideal. He was too busy tweeting back at uh, Big Ben. And then you have Derek Carr getting up to the podium saying, well, if people don't like me, they better get used to it because I'm the face of this franchise for a while going forward. Derek, you might want to pump the brakes there, big guy, because if uh, the Raiders have a chance to draft a franchise-changing quarterback, uh, you might be headed in a very different direction. So, Raiders, Man, is he he's very whiny. I, I really liked him initially. He's starting to wear on me a little bit now. Yeah, and I think he's starting to wear on everybody within that organization. Yeah. So we'll see uh, how things go there. But that's the story on kind of the AFC West and, and how things look there. Into the NFC, and we can start and go east to west again, Payne. Uh, it appears to be Philadelphia's division on paper to win as their even money favorites at betonline.ag. The Cowboys right behind them at plus a dollar and a quarter. Then, of course, you have the Redskins at 10 to 1 and the New York Football Giants at 16 to 1. We look at Philadelphia's win total, the highest in the division. Right now, it's 9.5. You have to lay $1.50 to go over that particular total. The Cowboys, 8.5, lay $1.60 to go over there. We look at the Giants. Uh, right now, their win total, $6.35 under. And the Washington Redskins check in right above the Giants, actually. Their win total, 6 lay $1.20 over. Uh, I guess, Payne, the million-dollar question here. The Giants drew all sorts of criticism for their draft pick of Daniel Jones at number six uh, as the real or perceived successor to Eli. We can say what we want, but you know, what do we think of the Giants and the direction that this franchise is heading under Gettleman's lead? 
Not a big Gettleman guy. Um, and to me, it's amazing how draft position can kind of change the overall feeling or projection of a player, right? Like if, if Daniel Jones gets picked 17th uh, or the Giants trade back into round one and, and Jones is the Giants' third pick on day one, I, I think the vibe's completely different, right? And I think what this did was put more pressure on Daniel Jones picking him sixth. Uh, it, it's clear that Gettleman's kind of screwed the pooch the last few seasons. There's no question about that. He definitely didn't get the most value with pick six. But I think when you kind of try to like assess Daniel Jones as a quarterback, I think there's a lot of things to like, right? Like his numbers aren't the best because he was playing with inferior talent at Duke every single week. And meanwhile, you're playing in a conference with, with potentially, uh, you know, if they win a national championship this year, the most dominant team of the decade uh, in Clemson. And, you know, every single week you're playing more talented guys. On offense, he never played with a guy that was actually drafted, right? You have to go back to 2015 when you're looking at, like, Detroit taking Lake and Tomlinson late in round one as an offensive lineman and Washington taking Jamison Crowder as a slot receiver in round four. Daniel Jones didn't play with those guys. So, you know, I, I think a lot of those numbers have noise in them just because he wasn't playing with anyone that was overly talented. I, I don't know how high the ceiling is on Jones, but I think the floor is pretty high. When you try to look at what the Giants are going to do this year, I, I you know, what scares me, and again, it's early and defense is ahead of offense, uh, the Giants' defense has been terrorizing both of these quarterbacks in camp so far. And I don't think anyone expects the Giants' defense to be any good. Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks on that roster again? <laughs> They are not. Now, you know, there is a, there is a saving grace here. The Giants are projected to face the easiest schedule of opposing offenses in 2019. So maybe maybe that provides some hope. Over under 700 touches on offense for Saquon Barkley for the Giants <laughs> to be relevant in 2019. <laughs> Tough. I, it's going to be really interesting to see how long his career lasts. I mean, he is going to be worked this year um and it's it's probably for not right it's probably for a team that's not going to win many games so, might be the, so that's might, pretty scary he might be the only one in and around the nfl that'll have a greater workload than you this upcoming fall that's that's very accurate that's very accurate philadelphia eagles pain uh, of course this was a team that went through some uh, quarterback shuffling with carson wentz having another injury chris long retiring uh you look at wentz fully cleared uh for otas and this offense looks loaded uh, for what they've been able to do. They went out there and picked up some more depth guys in the backfield. I mean, they get Jordan Howard for pennies on the dollar. You get a guy towards the tail end of his career that may be able to take a lid off the defense in Deshaun Jackson. Uh, but you look at the tight end tandem, and I know you were extremely high on Dallas Goddard. Uh, what do we Don't make talk of- about it. Don't talk. We got Mike Kosicki, though. <laughs> <laughs> what do we make of Philadelphia? Couldn't block a shadow. <laughs> uh, and what this offense should be able to produce if Wentz can stay upright for 16 games. You know, I think that's the biggest thing, right? The offense is going to be really good. We know analytically they're sound. They hit all the spots you're supposed to, right? They really focus on getting the ball to the tight end. Maybe overuse Dak Ertz a little bit. They focus on getting the ball to running backs in space by passing in. And when you sign Deshaun Jackson, regardless of what you think of him, you know, we've told you for five years, there's very few guys like him in the world. Uh, Without even touching a ball, he provides space for the rest of the offense. And even last year, led the league in yards per catch. He's done it in four out of nine years. So he is a welcomed weapon back, especially when you look at how Carson Wentz likes to throw the ball deep. That's one of his best passes. One of his most accurate passes is the deep ball. I, I think the slight concern possibly is is Carson Wentz's health. I don't think it has anything to do with the knee. Came out yesterday, actually, and said he's ditching the knee brace. I think what's concerning is the back issue. 
and he's been dealing with this for a while, all the way back to his college days. He's had multiple stress fractures in his lower back, and obviously a lot of our listeners know about Dr. Chow joining us uh, once a week, and he's flat out said, once you have one stress fracture and now multiple stress fractures, the chance of it reoccurring is far greater. And now you don't have the services of Nick Foles. This becomes something that I think would really hinder the Eagles' offense if West Wentz was to miss time. It hasn't really happened in years past because you've had Nick Foles to rely on. Um, I don't want to sound pessimistic because I'm actually really optimistic about the Eagles this year. Um, and I think it's it's mostly because of their defense, right? I think... When you look at that side of the ball, it's tough to fathom a team that was more injury-plagued than Philly was last year. And despite all those injuries on defense, they still finished 15th in defensive efficiency, and they had that late-season search. And you look at some of the guys that they've added. You know, you go out and get a Malik Jackson. I think he's going to try to take every double team he can, and that's going to allow Fletcher Cox to operate one-on-one. Timmy Jernigan, my guy from Florida State, he is back. He's pissed off about the lack of interest he received in free agency during the offseason. <laughs> I think he has a big year. Um, you bring back Ronald Darby uh, for pennies on the dollar because he was fighting that injury. I think that's huge. Signing LJ Fort for virtual pennies I think is one of the most underrated signings this offseason. When you look at Pittsburgh defensively, when they started to improve is when they started to get LJ Fort more snaps last year. Uh, he ended up grading out one of the top 20 linebackers in the NFL. So I think defensively, if they can get Malcolm Jenkins to camp, and I think he eventually returns. This is just a bargaining chip. He understands how vital he is to that defense. He understands that he he was the glue last year that kept them together, and there's not a ton of guys at the safety position that can replace him. So he's got the organization by the balls, and I think they eventually give him a race. But he'll be back. Um, So I, I think the Eagles' defense improves as well. And if Wentz can stay healthy, they're going to compete for another Super Bowl. And for all those loyal Cowboy fans, we're hoping that we deep dive your team while well, you're just going to have to wait till Not August yet. and tune in. A lot of things still to be settled there in Big D. From the East Pain, uh, we will head to the NFC South and take a look at what I think could be one of the more intriguing divisions in all of football. Uh, you're looking at the Saints division favorites at minus $1.60 at betonline.ag. The Falcons behind them at a little better than 3-1. to one. The Panthers at plus 750. And the Bucks picking up the rear at 12-1. to one. We look at these win totals, and I think some of these are relatively fascinating. The Saints win total 10.5, lay $1.30 to go under. Atlanta's win total 9, lay $1.30 to go under there. Carolina, 7.5 wins. Uh, that's flat right now. And Tampa Bay at the bottom, 6.5 under minus $1.35. So the Tampa Bay Bucks, Payne, they go out there, they overhaul their coaching staff, and immediate impact expected from Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles comes in. Dan Graziano in the, said this offseason, the Bucks getting Arians was the biggest move that happened anywhere in football this offseason. What are your thoughts on Tampa and the kind of difference Arians can make in year one with Jameis Winston and company? Might be the only guy saying it. Um, that's not us right? This should be getting more attention. This should be national, right? It seems like all these young coaches getting hired who haven't proven a damn thing are being talked about nationally more than one of the greatest proven offensive minds in the NFL. I think this Tampa coaching staff is one of the very best in football. You mentioned Todd Bowles. Regardless of what you think of his job in New York, he is a fantastic number two 
Now he's not he's not a leading man. He's more Robin, um, but he's a great defensive coordinator. He was with Arians in Arizona for two seasons. He delivered defensive rankings of second and seventh in overall defensive efficiency. Casey Rogers, who I've mentioned on this show. I know we go a little bit more in depth than most shows out there, but anytime you're mentioning a defensive line coach, there's a reason for it, right? <laughs> I think he's he's one of the best defensive line teachers in the NFL. Uh, offensively, we know Arian's mantra, it's, it's no risk it, no biscuit. It'll be interesting to see um, him try to reel Jameis in a little bit. Uh, he is no stranger uh, to making risky plays. There are a ton of weapons on offense with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and I think... Look out. O.J. Howard is poised for a breakout season. Bobo Wilson, the FSU product, he is tearing it up in camp so far. Ronald Jones has looked good, I'm being told. Um, He's still in the league? That a boy, Ronald. Get some touches. He's still in the league, and I think they're talking about him um, making some noise, and you know Arians likes to pass it to his to his running back, so I think that could possibly be an area where he's shown some improvement. I know it was a question mark a little bit coming out of USC, but I think there is is some room for improvement there. Um, one interesting thing I think to monitor is obviously Jamison, his uh, Jameis Winston's weight. Um, he claimed in March he wants to play at 250. We know he's going to be taking a beating in this offense, right? Like, Arians likes to get the ball down the field. You look at his last two seasons in Arizona, his quarterbacks were hit the fourth most times in the NFL. Um, And so, you know, when you look at Jameis in a contract year, obviously doesn't want to get hurt, knows he's going to take a beating. I get the idea of wanting to put on weight, but 250 is probably a little excessive. Um, So there'll probably be a nice middle ground there, something around 235, I think, Clyde Christensen was talking about. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Um, But when you just look at the overall vibe of this team, right, when you look at last year, the expected wins versus actual wins, Tampa was nearly three games below expectation. So I think there's a lot of room for growth here. There was a massive leap in the coaching staff. I, I I think this is probably one of the surprise teams this season. Uh, last thing on this team, obviously, Ndamukong Sue working to finalize his deal there. We know that they cut your old McCoy that you referenced earlier. They go out there, they acquire Devin White in the draft, and we have the unfortunate car accident uh, to Jason Pierre-Paul. What are, what are realistic expectations for this Tampa team paint on the defensive side? You mentioned all the weapons that they have and the firepower they possess, at least in terms of scoring points. Well, I think Sue is is a huge get, right? And, and while he's not the pass rusher of Gerald McCoy, I think he's significantly better in run stopping. And one thing that we've seen uh, with any Todd Bowles fronts is he likes to be multiple. He likes to play some 3-4. And so you need that big nose tackle taken on two blocks right in the middle. And I think that's where Sue might actually be a better fit for this defensive system. You talked about White getting drafted from LSU. Uh, rave reviews from Arians and Bulls already talking about not just how good he is on the field, but already taking onus of being that leadership guy, being a vocal leader. So I think that's big. They've added some components to the secondary as well. Um, A lot of key signings, right? You'll look around and a lot of key veterans that are good players playing on one-year deals that were signed this offseason. Arians also came out yesterday and said something to the effect of, uh, this defense right now probably isn't going to look exactly what it looks like in a couple months from now. Leads you to believe that they're going to probably target a couple more free agents on that side of the ball. One thing that I've seen with Todd Bowles' defense is, is sometimes it's better than the sum of the parts. So I, I don't think it will be as big as of a liability as people think it will be. 
Yeah, very interesting. I mean, this is a team, uh, we see it every year, a team go from worst to first in division. Uh, maybe if everything breaks the right way for Tampa, uh, like you said, they can be the surprise story. Atlanta pain, uh, we've seen Dan Quinn kind of underachieve during his time there. And right now, a lot of the injuries that plagued the Falcons on the defensive side are in the rear view. You can't imagine that they'll lose nearly as many games to the likes of Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, and Ricardo Allen this season. They went out, they made the offensive line a major priority, but the defensive line and secondary major questions. Uh, how do we think Atlanta bounces back from a very disappointing 2018 campaign? This is a make or break year for Dan Quinn. Right, like his offense has continued to prop up his ability to actually coach in my mind. Right, um, when you look at a defensive coach brought in from Seattle to fix this Atlanta defense and kind of complement Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and the Falcons offense, that really hasn't happened. Right, um, this is now going to be year five for Dan Quinn. In his four completed seasons, Atlanta's defense has finished 22nd, 26th, 22nd, 31st in overall defensive efficiency. Now, you, you alluded to this and it well-documented, and we know it, right? The unit was bit by the injury bug last year, 25th in adjusted games lost to injury on defense. But you kind of look at this unit, and you alluded to it. It looks thin in the secondary, right? Like, I'm not sure how Atlanta plans to cover the slot. Um, they're an injury to Trufant away from being like an abject disaster in the secondary. And you look at the schedule, and they're projected to face the seventh toughest schedule of passing offenses. They bring back Adrian Claiborne for like a second shot at love, I guess. Um, he needs to produce because Atlanta was 31st in pressure rate last season. If you can't get to the quarterback and your secondary is already vulnerable, that's a bad combination. So uh, I, I'm not quite sure what it's going to look like defensively for Atlanta. Obviously, uh, a new situation offensively with a first-time play caller. So, uh, you know, this this team is is very interesting. And if I had to project and guess, uh, if we're talking about the Falcons this time next year, they probably have a new head coach. Very interesting. Obviously, uh, with that insinuation, may not be uh, a big, big campaign uh, for the Falcons this year. And, and it's well, I think even like a 500 season. Or, or uh, so you think you know, it's a game over 500. Play- I, I don't. I think it's got to be a deep playoff run for Dan Quinn at this point. And it's. I always say this, right? If your head coach um, can't instill what his best trait is on your team, at some point he's not the guy, right? And so you brought in this defensive wizard from Seattle, and these his defenses aren't even average. They're well below average. Um, and and you could again, you can go back to the injuries last year, but they haven't been good the previous three seasons. So, so I was going to say, so Payne, with that being the case, and you think just getting the playoffs isn't good enough, Atlanta's got to either win the division or maybe get as far as the NFC Championship to keep uh, uh, owner Arthur Blank happy? I would think so, man. I would really think so. Um, that that would be, you know, and, and Arthur Blank, Blank is a tough guy to police. Um, <laughs> not the nicest of men. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think they have to make a deep run. I really do. Going to be interesting. You talk about a potential new coach in Atlanta. A team in the NFC North that does have a new coach would be the Green Bay Packers and their second favorites behind the Chicago Bears. One of the more tightly contested divisions as far as odds makers are concerned when you look at the odds at betonline.ag. The Bears plus 175 to win the NFC North. The Green Bay Packers behind them at 2-1. to one. The Minnesota Vikings in third at plus 2.25. And, and the Detroit Lions at 10-1. to one. Quick glance at these win totals. The Bears over-under sits at 9.5, lay a $1.25 to go under that number. 
Green Bay's win total, 9.5, lay $1.30 to go under. When you look at Minnesota, their win total, 9, lay $1.20 over. And, of course, the Matt Patricia, Matthew Stafford-led Detroit Lions, their win total, 7, under minus $1.40. And, Payne, I guess this is the question that everybody has throughout the NFL, whether you're a better, whether you're just a casual fan. Can Matt LaFleur work with Aaron Rodgers? Are you buying the new voice in such a high-profile position? <laughs> Going to be fun to monitor that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I tweeted about this the moment LaFleur was hired back in January, and I said something to the effect of, like, you know, Matt LaFleur in general, I, I don't mind him. But it's really odd that you can receive a major promotion like this after having the 22nd most efficient offense and the 22nd most successful passing attack, All right? And for a guy that was supposed to bring a Titans offense into the year 2019, LaFleur's Titans ran the ball more than Mike Malarkey's, right? And, you know, despite that being the case, uh, it took LaFleur 13 weeks to figure out Derrick Henry who was the team's best running back. I, You know, I, it's weird. I. This is going to be a fun situation to monitor. It's going to go one of two ways, and it's all about the buy-in of Aaron Rodgers. Um, but Matt LaFleur literally had one of the very worst seasons any coach had last year. The organization made this decision uh, without Rodgers' approval. They effectively called him and said, hey, this is happening kind of thing. And there was silence on the other end of the line, I was told. Um, hey, that's kind of how things work around this podcast. You make the decisions, then you fill me in later. So, I mean, I understand what Aaron Rodgers is going through. The only difference being I'm not a franchise quarterback. I don't think that's the case, but maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, You know, these two guys seem to be saying all the right things for the most part, although recently Rodgers kind of crapped on him in an interview, um, effectively saying, like, LaFleur was showing us all the good plays of his offensive history ran in the previous seasons and, and kind of edited out the bad. Um, <laughs> I think this is going to be fun to monitor. Uh, I think the key here, obviously, for the Packers offense, and this is an offense that, you know, despite Rodgers' injuries last year and despite some, you know, young receivers getting probably more playing time than Rodgers would have liked, it was still an offense that finished seventh in overall efficiency. Uh, I think LaFleur is going to have to be less predictable. One thing he was in Tennessee was, you know, he was going to run every single time on second and long. I think he's going to be need to be way more uh, creative to open things up. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to get a better grasp of the system. One thing he came out yesterday and said, you know, I really don't know this offense quite yet. He's got three months to figure it out, and, and hopefully he does. Um, I like some of the, the young receivers that uh, the Packers have. So it'll be interesting. I think their backfield uh, is loaded, right? Um, and you look at the the schedule of run defenses they're going to play this year, I think there's opportunities to be successful running the ball, but it certainly can't be uh, as as predictive as it was last year when uh, LaFleur was running the Titans. You have to think a Green Bay team with LaFleur at the helm right now that ran the ball 333 times last year, dead last in the NFL, is going to make a much more concerted effort to establishing the ground game. And for those guys that haven't been paying attention, I think one of the more interesting moves that showed some of that youth movement that you mentioned for the Packers, they let Randall Cobb walk to go, the injury-prone wide receiver, head to Dallas, and they give Geronimo Allison an extension there, uh, which I think bodes well for the young, talented receiver there. When we look at the Packers' historical rival, the Chicago Bears, you know, maybe arrived a year ahead of schedule, now steeped in major expectations, going to see a change of personnel on the defensive side. Pink, can they make the next step with a schedule that's much more daunting on paper than what they had to go through a season ago? 
By the way, we're over an hour. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, the fact that goal. you set the over under at an hour was laughable to me. I would have max bet the over. I would have laid up to six dollars. And and our listeners probably know my voice is shot right now. It's not in uh, peak conditioned podcast form at this point. When you go from three a week to uh, one in the last month or so, so my voice is shot at this point. So excuse me there. Um, I uh, we were talking about Bears and their defense. Uh, Bears I, defense, I, Bears expectations, whichever way you want to go. You know the floor is yours. Yeah, you know, listen, I love Vic Fangio, so there's going to be regression defensively, and I think um, when you have the most efficient uh, defense, there's only one direction you can go. Uh, You know, Chuck Pagano is back. I think he's doing what he does best, and that's coaching defense. Um, Being a number one is is not suited for him. Um, With talent, we've seen his defensive units do very well. You know, you can go back to 2011. He was D.C. in Baltimore. He ended with the most efficient defense. Uh, he had very little talent uh, in Indy on the defensive side of the ball there, but even you know a handful of years, Pagano fielded defenses that were above average in overall defensive efficiency. I, I just can't see a world where you have 27 interceptions again, and you know, God forbid, there's there's an injury to an edge rusher or two. Um, that could be problems because there's not much depth past Mac. Um, you know, one of the bigger things for Chicago in 2017, they were the second most injured team. Uh, last year, they were one of the three healthiest teams. So I think that's interesting. And w- when I just did some poking around, I asked some guys uh, so with some real ties to the organization, I-, I think the vibe is a little different around the Bears, right? I think Matt Nagy knows it's clear that his offense needs to take the next step for there not to be regression because – you know, his defense played at an unsustainable rate last year. And when you look at the schedule, the Bears defense is projected to face the top five schedule of offenses, um, but a below average slate of defenses. So I, I think the onus is on the offense to take that next step. I think there is um, a lot of positive there offensively for Chicago that there is this continuity, right? You look at the offensive line. All five guys return. I think they are going to make a little shakeup there. I was told. I think uh, Cody Whitehair is going to go back to guard, and James Daniels, the kid who played center at Iowa, is going to go back to his natural position there. But uh, for all intents and purposes, you have your five starters from last year. Um, I'm really interested to see how David Montgomery does. I know he's kind of the the cool new flavor in the ice cream shop. For whatever reason, Nagy kind of fell out of love with Jordan Howard. Uh, but there's a reason Montgomery fell to the third round in the draft, and it's because his top-end speed just isn't there, right? It wasn't there at Iowa State. Tested even worse uh, than projected at the combine. He threw up a 4-6-3-40. Uh, but based on how things sound right now, for the fantasy players out there, I think it could be you know something like 200, 220-plus carries for, for Montgomery coming into the season, barring an injury. Yeah, and the one thing we've seen is uh, that we know Nagy likes to get the ball to his running backs, catching the ball out of the backfield, of course. Tariq Cohen, and this forgive me for this, yep. he's, he's still very much on the roster, right, Payne? Yeah, he is. He <laughs> so. is. Um, and he's just, you know, it's tough not to have him on the field, right? You don't want to get him injured, but, man, he is dynamic. And even if you have good coverage linebackers, it's still extremely tough to stick with uh, Tariq Cohen. And, of course, we will see the Bears and Packers kick things off. Uh, a little more than 100 days from now or thereabouts uh, for the season opener on Thursday night, celebrating 100 years of the National Football League. From the north, we head uh, west, where it is the Los Angeles Rams, last year's Super Bowl runner-ups, division favorites at minus $1.75. 
at betonline.ag. They're followed by the Seattle Seahawks at plus 275, the 49ers at 5-1, to one, and the Arizona Cardinals at 25-1. to one. When we look at some of these win totals, uh, we see the Rams' win total set at 10.5. You do have to lay $1.30 if so inclined to go under that total. We look at the Seattle Seahawks, their win total, 8.5 over minus $1.20. The San Francisco 49ers projected by oddsmakers to finish right around 500, 8 over minus $1.20. And the Arizona Cardinals, 5.5 under minus 140. All those numbers, of course, courtesy of betonline.ag. Paying Arizona's coaching staff and what they did in the draft. Kyler Murray, we saw the picture that circulated, a photo with the rookie class, looks about 17 inches shorter than anybody else that was drafted in the first round. If this is you and you're in charge of the Arizona Cardinals organization, would Cliff Kingsbury have been on your top three list to take over this franchise? Top three. <laughs> top, thir- top 30? Uh, you, you know, listen, let me kind of paint this picture. Uh, I mean, we need we, we need one it. rant. We need one rant to carry us through the offseason, and we didn't get it out of Mike Tomlin, damn it, so let it come here. Yeah, praising Tomlin. Who would have thought? Um, A gentler, uh, softer pain insider. <laughs> I, you know, if we had a draft podcast, this would have would have been out there. So I think we just kind of put it out there now. Um, listen, Kyler Murray better work out, or this ship is going to sink fast for Kingsbury and Kime. Um, I think those two guys did a great job smoke screening many members of the media late in the draft process that didn't want to do their due diligence on Kyler Murray in that situation. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Listen, like Murray was always going to be the number one pick from the date of February 10th onwards. And why that date is important is because it's when the business side of football made sense for three people, right? Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and Eric Burkhart. Kingsbury gets the quarterback he always wanted in Kyler and that he missed out while recruiting him out of high school. Kyler Murray becomes the number one pick, you know, gets the 35 million guaranteed and now looks extremely smart for turning down baseball and 4 million to ride buses in the minor leagues for the next few years. And then of course, agent uh, Eric Burkhart, who is Kingsbury's childhood friend and agent lands the number one pick in the draft, which puts money in his pocket, grows his agency's brand and kind of removes the stench of his client, Johnny Menzel. Like it was a win, win, win deal for Cliff, Kyler and Burkhart. So, um, it, Kyler was always going to be the pick the main, the moment, uh, Kyler signed with, with Cliff's friend and agent. Um, you know, I think Kingsbury is very talented, offensive minded, right? I think he's got one of the better offensive minds out there. I really do. I think the question becomes, you know, can he build an organization? Can he lead a team? Can he go from, you know, offensive guru to an actual winner? And those are all big question marks. And you look at Kingsbury, he was 35 and 40 at Texas Tech. His best season, it was year one. He won eight games with Tommy Tuberville's players. And if you remove games against FCS opponents uh, and Kansas, sorry, Jayhawks football fans, uh, Kingsbury, who's 23 and 40 at Tech. And, you know, kind of the fun part if you're an Arizona Cardinals fan, and I'm, I'm being uh, sarcastic there. You have to break in a new coach, a new offensive system, a rookie QB starting day one, and your offense faces a schedule of defenses projected to be in the top four in defensive efficiency, both against the run and the pass. Uh, that sounds like a lot of you know, fun. It's going to be tough, I think, <laughs> to take it one step further. You know, if you pulled a uh, hundred Arizona Cardinals fans and said, "Would you rather have Cliff and his staff, um, or bring back Bruce and his staff?" 
99 out of 100 Arizona Cardinals fans are, are going with Bruce and his staff. Uh, the lone person who would probably side with Kingsbury is Holly Saunders. So <laughs> that, I, this is this is going to be an uphill battle. I'm just going to tell you right now. This 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 could be a tough season. Now, if Kyler Murray comes out and he completely balls out, it could certainly change the direction of this franchise. I like a lot of the weapons they've kind of surrounded him with. Um, you know, you still have Larry Fitzgerald. I've maintained for a long time the guy could play another five years in the NFL if he put on 15 pounds and moved to tight end, right? He's that good of a blocking receiver. He's got that good of hands. He's that good of a route runner. Um, He probably won't want to go that route. Um, Andy Isabella was a guy that was just flying up draft boards. And although, you know, Kaim is a clown and he effectively told the world that um, he got, I think he said something to the effect of, we got three first-round players on our board in the first three rounds. Um, the guy we drafted in the second round was a top 10 pick on our board. <laughs> so it was just like really odd how he was kind of praising his guys. Now, I didn't mind some of the guys he drafted. Um, I still think there's a void defensively. Um, and then the Patrick Peterson thing certainly doesn't help. But this is going to have to be a good offense and fast. Yeah, I mean, a lot of expe- expectations down there, and you wonder what Arizona will be able to accomplish in Cliff's first foray into the National Football League. Uh, Payne, we look at San Francisco. I mean, this is a 49ers team that might be ready to contend now, assuming they're healthy. But, I mean, they went through the ringer last year in terms of some of the injury. Jimmy G, of course, the biggest injury that they're going to have to worry about by all accounts. He should be good to go in a full participation participant in camp but you had injuries to guys like Quan Alexander, Jarek McKinnon, center Weston Richburg, Jason Verrett continues to recover and it felt like every week we weren't sure who the primary ball carrier was going to be for the 49ers um, and I found it fascinating that one of the big developments the 49ers offseason was completely clearing the deck and revamping the training and medical staffs after being among the league leaders and using injured reserve the past two years that they bring in somebody from the Philadelphia Flyers the director of sports science Ben Peterson do we think the Niners can stay healthy enough to contend for a playoff spot, or what should the expectations be for Kyle Shanahan uh, and another trip around the sun? And to improve health concerns, they go out and sign Jason Verrett. No, like, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> he's a great player if he's healthy. Just hasn't been healthy. Hopefully, um, you know, over one year sample, uh, he can he can maintain his health because he's a very good player. So hopefully that comes to fruition for a secondary that certainly needs some help. Well, and then what, um, speaking of injuries, and then I'll let you, the floor is all yours. You, you know, already your top overall pick, Bosa is dealing with a sore hamstring right out of the gates. Um, It's May. You know, I'm not really concerned about that. If it's something come middle of August, then, then I think we talk about it. Uh, he's got plenty of time for a hamstring. But, you know, kind of... And I think Dr. Chow put this nicely, and it's something that I've, I've kind of known for a while. Uh, being down here in South Florida and, and close to the American Heritage Program, it's, you know, the Boza family uh, is all about business. And so, you know, there's no reason um, risking fatigue or injury uh, this early. So uh, some of these things kind of pop up, so to speak. I <laughs> When I look at San Francisco... Uh, you know, it's go time. That's bottom line. Year three for Kyle Shanahan. I think we know, uh, you know, he's certainly better than Cliff Kingsbury, but to, uh, you know, some of the same extent, it's it's a really talented offensive mind, but the wins need to start rolling in. 
And I think when you start to look at some of the simpler things to try and gauge if there's going to be progression in San Francisco this year, I think you like what you see, right? Like San Francisco, as you alluded to, a lot of injuries. They lost the fourth most games due to injury last year. Um, Despite that, they finished in the top nine in net yards per play. If you only include Nick Mullins' games, that number improves to top seven. Uh, If you look at the Pythag, San Francisco had the largest discrepancy in the entire NFL in actual wins versus expected wins. 1-4 should have been nearly 8. I believe 7.8 was the number. So there's a lot to like about San Francisco this year. Can they take that next step? I think hopefully they can if they maintain their health because I like a lot of things they're doing. Long term, though, listen, Kyle Shanahan needs to be more hands-off with the decision-making of this roster. That's the bottom line. Now he's been given control, and there's been some animosity with him and John Lynch. Hopefully that relationship um, can repair itself. They claim that there's no issues there. Let's see what happens and unfolds here because I think ultimately the owners would probably side with Kyle Shanahan over John Lynch. Um, but really, you know, and I, I kind of hinted at this probably probably a year ago, excuse me, that Kyle Shanahan needs to be more hands-off with the decision-making process, with the contracts and things of that nature. Yeah, kind of know your role, put yourself in a position to excel and trust the powers that be, especially if you can get those interests that align And all eyes will be on San Francisco. I know they're a trendy pick by some, uh, more so in the media than the betting community, as far as a team that has the ability to take the next step and maybe be a dark horse within the division if Seattle takes a step back or the Rams can't perform at the high level we saw last year. Eight divisions done, wrapped, signed, sealed, delivered. I know, Payne, we weren't able to hit on every team, but we have to wet people's whistles and allow them to come back in August. We'll have a lot more information readily available at our disposal. We'll talk about futures. We'll talk about win totals. We'll talk about season outlooks and everything else that makes all of us, including our loyal bet the board listener core, love the National Football League a lot more than the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and any other wagering pursuits. Uh, any other uh, interesting tidbits or nuggets that you'd like to share with our audiences? We, we've exceeded the self-imposed time ban that you wanted to wrap in in around an hour. Yeah, let me, let me be a team player here. Um, let's give out something. Wow. This is a curveball. I, I didn't see this coming. I, the, old, the old 12 to 6. Yeah. Um, Kershaw's feeling healthy. I he did have his highest strikeout total this season yesterday against Tampa. You saw that. I... Uh, I don't think this is going to be here when we reconvene in August, so might as well give it out now. Uh, anything plus money uh, on the Colts to win the AFC South? Uh, we took a dollar thirty. It's it's varying now. Like there's some plus one seventeen out there, some plus one fifteen, some plus one ten. Like I, you know, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but anything with a plus in front of it uh, for the Colts to win the AFC South, I think, uh, has some value. Indianapolis Colts, the good old Uncle Charlie coming a lot earlier than expected (laughs) to get into the football game. Uh, Be sure to follow the podcast at BetTheBoard on Twitter. Follow Payne Insider at Payne Insider. I'm, of course, Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well. Payne, before we uh, head into this Memorial Day holiday weekend and summer months coming up, I mean, I know you're big on offering life advice to some of our young, impressionable minds and even our older listeners. I mean, is there anything you'd like to share, a cocktail of choice uh, that you'll be drinking throughout the summer months or, or anything that you'd like to get off your chest before we reconvene in early August? I do find it great that you've come around after five years, despite the perception that you feel I'm the man to give life advice. I really do. Um, 
but uh, you're, no, you're nothing. Let's 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 wrap this thing up. Um, I got to go get a cough drop at this point. I'm done. I'm out of commission. Well, I'm glad you were able to push yourself. I know most of the time, uh, all first unit starters are typically on a snap count during the first preseason game, one to two series. You got us midway through the third quarter, so we're happy about that. To all of our loyal Bet the Board listeners, whether it's your 100th-plus podcast you're listening to or your first, tell your friends. Go to iTunes, five-star review. Enjoy your summer months. Most importantly, be safe, and we'll look back to seeing you at the window. We kick things off for real this coming August. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.